Welcome. Welcome to Park Church. We're glad that you're here on this uh, fourth week of our series up there called Not Alone. This fall, we're asking big, hard questions, the kind of questions where we feel like alone when we're asking them. And as Paul said, we want you to hear that you're not alone. Not only are we with you, but God is with you. And so far, um, we've asked big questions that have correlated to really hard problems, to really hard issues. Like last week, we talked about addiction, um, and it's a problem. And the week before that, we talked about busyness, and that's a problem. And the week before that, we talked about shame and how that can be a problem. Um, this week, we're not going to talk about a problem so much as we're going to talk about a way forward, a solution. And that's forgiveness, as Paul said. This week, I've done a lot of reading and thinking and working and watching and listening um, to stories of forgiveness. And I have to tell you, <clears throat> I am not much of a crier. There's nothing wrong with being a crier. I know there's a stigma about a man being a crier. Nothing wrong with being a crier. I just happen not to be much of one. But this week, as I watched these stories and as I read them and as I view them on YouTube, and they, like, uh, I had to fight back tears repeatedly or just let it happen. Because these stories are so powerful. They're so moving. Um, stories of, you know, um, a mom of a young man who was, who was killed in 9-11 who befriended and partnered with and now tours the country talking with a mom of one of the people who was responsible for 9-11. Just like amazing stuff. Um, stories of, you know, the family who's driving down the road to get, get struck by a drunk driver. Um, mom and dad wake up in the hospital to shattered pelvis and to no children. Who visited the woman who um, was driving, who killed her daughters, visited her in jail, forgave her, and are now, like, they've now adopted her as almost like a surrogate-type daughter. Um, just these amazing, amazing stories that we can't imagine. And a lot of them, to be honest, have come, <coughs> have come out of this book up there. It's called The Book of Forgiving. And it's written by um, Desmond Tutu. Desmond Tutu, and um, it's his daughter. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name, so I'm not going to try. Um, but that's him up there, and that's his daughter, down there. Desmond Tutu, if you don't know who he is, he was the Archbishop of South Africa as apartheid was coming to an end. If you don't know what apartheid is, um, it was basically, in so many words, it was the legal, the legal system for um, racism and oppression and suppression and violence by the white minority towards the black majority. And it went on for decades and decades and it was legal and the atrocities there are well documented. Um, one historian I was reading said, if you were to kind of compress them all into a shorter period of time, what happened there would rival the Nazi Holocaust. That's how horrible, that's how ugly it was. As, as the nation was coming out of apartheid, um, Nelson Mandela, people like him, um, Desmond Tutu was the archbishop, he, he was the leader of the church in South Africa during this time. The people of South Africa at that time had a decision to make. Uh, did they want to punish the people who did all this stuff. On both sides, all kinds of violence, all kinds of horrible things that you don't want to even read about. Um, were they going to punish those people? Were they going to continue the cycle of bloodshed? Were they going to return, um, you know, eye for eye, tooth for tooth? Or were they going to decide to do something differently? And the, the people of South Africa, led by Nelson Mandela and people like Desmond Tutu, decided to do something different. Part of what they did is they set up this thing called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And basically what this was, 
was months upon months of public testimony by um, the abused and by the abusers, by the victims and by the victimizers, um, telling the story of what happened. It was a chance for people um, to hear the other half of the story. You know, like I sent my kid to school that day and that was the last time I saw him and that was 15 years ago. Stories like that. Um, People who did these horrible things had a chance to come forward and publicly confess them and publicly own up to them, to ask for forgiveness, but also to seek legal amnesty. Because South Africa decided rather than imprison and execute countless people, we have to do something different. We have to stop this um, bloodshed. And so that's what they did. And this went on for months and months and months. And Desmond Tutu was appointed the chair of this Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Um, and he won a Nobel Prize as part of this. Um, if there's someone who is, who is an expert in forgiveness, he's, he's the man to listen to. And the best part about it is um, he was personally affected by it, so it's not someone else's story. It's his, and he is a deeply Christian man. Every, I mean, this is a book that anyone of any faith could read and really gain from, but every word on this page um, has the blood of Jesus behind it, I think. And so we are, um, we are wise to listen to him. And I promise this is not going to be uh, a book report, but it might feel a little bit like a book report at times. Um, I was overwhelmed when I read this and when I saw the stories of other things. I was overwhelmed for a few reasons. One is it just made me, it just made me think to myself of the times where I've held grudges or the times where I haven't forgiven, the times where I have let bitterness sink in. And it, it made me think to myself, gosh, that's so silly. Like compared to some of the things you read here, it's just, it's just, we hold on to little things, and that made me feel kind of silly. The second thing it did was it reminded me of how much I've been forgiven. It reminded me of what God did for each and every one of us, and that means me too. When he sent his son into this world, um, really in a lot of ways to take the consequences away from me for the things that I should be forgiven, that I need forgiveness from, he did that, and it humbled me. It kind of renewed my um, sense of, oh yeah, I am forgiven, thank God. But the real thing it did, and this is why I'm talking about it this morning, is it made me, it made me think of some of you. It made me think of the people who I know, who are sitting in this room, or who are sitting in here this morning, or who couldn't make it this morning, um, thinking of the people whose lives have been so impacted by something from the past or something from the pre- that is just so hurtful and so painful, and you carry, you carry with you um, that anger and that pain and that, and that hurt. And it made me think to myself, what if, we could, what if we could find a different way forward? What if we together as a community, which always means us as individuals, what if we could learn, really learn to forgive? So that's what we're gonna talk about this morning. And We'll get into that book a little bit. I came across a quote um, a few weeks ago, actually, and it was one of those things where like, it jumped off the page at me. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know why I came across it, but it was as if God was placing it there before I even knew what to do with it. Um, oh, before we get into that, though, this is the question. <clears throat> this is the question that we're asking. Will the blank ever go away? Will the hurt ever go away? Will the pain, will the bitterness? Um, the answer that forgiveness offers is yes. It can, it can actually go away. But... This quote that I want to get to, um, it's by a guy named Marcus Aurelius. He was a uh, first or second century Roman general emperor type, 
probably a pretty bad guy on the scope of things. Um, but he had this quote, and I didn't know what it meant, and I actually think it means something different than what he meant it by. But here's the quote. <clears throat> it says, what stands in the way becomes the way. What stands in the way becomes the way. When he meant it, he meant it to be a positive thing. We all have obstacles in our lives that as we learn to overcome those obstacles, that becomes the way forward for us. And we grow through that and we experience and that's how we grow. We get over the things that stand in our way and we move past. When I read this as kind of a cynical person, um, I thought to myself, gosh, yeah, isn't that right? What stands in the way becomes the way. And here's what I mean by that. Something, something happens to you in the past and it's caused you to become someone who is angry. And now that anger stands in your way. It stands in your way of becoming the man who you know God has made you to be, or the woman. It stands in the way from you being the mom who you're called to be, the dad, right? The parent who you're called to be. It stands in the way of you being who you want to be, who God has made you to be. And because of that, anger stands in your way. Anger now has become your way. Your life is just marked by um, fits of rage, by outbursts, right? You look behind you and there is a wake of destruction in your path like when a tornado rips through a town. What stands in your way becomes your way. It's not just anger though, it's also just hurt in general. Hurt, someone has hurt you and now hurt is the thing that stands in your way. And for us, what we do with hurt, it's generally one of two things. One thing that we do is we just become hurt people. We just become Victims. We think of ourselves as victims. We think of ourselves as never having a chance to rise above it and make actual decisions for our life because life just happens to us. We are perpetually the victims. And what that looks like is not a life that anyone wants to live. That's not a free life. The hurt that was caused us um, has actually just now imprisoned us. That's one direction we go with hurt. The other direction that we go with hurt, um, in the words of my friend, hurting people hurt people. That's the other direction we go. We just decide to hurt someone before they can hurt us, before they can hurt me. That's hurt or anger. But if it's not those things, maybe it's anger's evil twin, which is resentment. Anger is at least um, expressed. You can work with anger. Resentment is just that thing that burns inside of you like a pressure cooker. It just boils up inside of you. And relationships, life doesn't work when we're overcome by uh, resentment. And if it's not those things, maybe it's mistrust. You've put yourself out there. You've um, opened yourself up. You've decided to be vulnerable with someone. And sometimes when we do that, people who we thought could be trusted, who should have been protecting us, who should have been loving us, who should have been caring for us, they take that trust that we've handed over to them and they just smash it on the ground like a broken plate. And because of that, that mistrust now, that stands in our way. And it becomes our way. So that we always keep people at arm's length. So that we never quite allow people... Um, to enter into our world so that we don't have good relationships with people. Sometimes we live our lives with walls around us to protect us. This idea of uh, what stands in the way becomes the way, this is put in um, startling terms here in this book um, by this guy named Ben. And I'm going to read part of Ben's story, not the whole thing because it's simply too much. But this is part of Ben's story. He said, for the first 11 years of my life, all I remember is fear. Not like a fear of falling or getting hurt or something like when you, when you know you're in trouble. It was life or death fear. Sheer terror every moment. I feared for my life, the lives of my brothers and sisters, the life of my mother. My father was the angriest, most violent human I've ever known. 
He didn't simply hit me. He beat me. He humiliated. He tortured me. And he did the same thing to my seven siblings. And then he goes on to tell a story that's simply too much to say. He says, in that moment, after that story, I hated my dad. I hated him so much, I could have killed him. I hated him for hating us so much. There was no place to hide and no place to run. He reached out to teachers, to school, police, nothing. I didn't know why no one protected me. I vowed that someday I would make him pay. I grew up angry and violent myself. My brothers grew up angry and violent as well. How could we not be? It was what we were raised on, what we were fed with and nurtured with. When you have a grown man doing that to you just because he can, how can you ever forgive? I didn't know why I was even born. I got, as I got older, I decided that life was about beating others down before they beat me down. I had turned into my own father, and I couldn't forgive him for that either. What stands in the way becomes the way. This anger I carried around, lack of trust in people, it affected every relationship I had. Eventually, I turned that anger into self-destruction. I didn't have my father beating on, my, on me every day, but I beat on myself. I knew I was worthless, so I turned to drugs and alcohol. I picked fights. I lashed out to anyone who even dared to show me love or affection. Eventually, I stopped drinking. I stopped doing the drugs. But all that bitterness, all that, it was, it was still burning inside of me. Everyone told me to forgive. But I felt like if I forgave him, I would just be one more person letting him off the hook for his behavior. The only way I had to pay him back was to withhold my love from him. Once I had my daughter and became a father myself, I was even angrier at him for not being the father I needed, and I was angry at him because I blamed him for my own shortcomings as a husband and a father. How could I possibly forgive him? He had destroyed my childhood, and now he was destroying my daughter's childhood. Every problem I had in life was because of him. I resented him, and I resented myself. Eventually, he says, I realized that I was carrying him with me everywhere I went, into every intimate relationship, and even into my own parenting. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. The pain of constantly carrying him with me was finally greater than the pain of the beatings I took as a child. Something had to give. It was this, more than anything, I think, that made me simply turn my motorcycle up his driveway one afternoon. We'll come back We'll come back to that story. You see, from Ben's life, what stands in the way becomes the way. But what if we could take what stands in our way and move it out of the way so it doesn't become our way, and we can choose a different way? Because no one wants to live like that. No one wants um, the story of their life to be the story of all of the ways that we've been hurt. No one wants the central character in our story to be the person or people or situation that hurt us. No one wants that to be their story. Could you imagine your life if it could be told by a different story? A story that's not dominated by that person or by those people or by that thing. A story where the anger and the fear and the mistrust and the resentment is a memory. It's a part of your story, but it's no longer the story any longer. Could you imagine what your life would look like? If five days from now, or five years, or 50 years, when you've left a legacy behind for your children and grandchildren not shaped by that thing, so that their lives aren't um, corrupted like Ben's daughter's life was being corrupted, could you imagine what that would be like? I want you to think for a moment 
about um, this question. Who is, who is the person that if you could forgive, your story would be different? Maybe it's um, someone close to you. Maybe it's someone who was close to you. Maybe it's someone who's not even alive anymore. Maybe it's yourself. One of the hardest people to forgive is the person who you live with every day, yourself. Because we're not perfect. You're not careful enough, maybe. Hindsight is 2020, but not foresight. It's hard to forgive ourselves. But the way, the way that we take what stands in our way and get it out of our way, the way we do that is by choosing a different way, and it's the way of forgiveness. And I hope that that sounds a lot better to you. One thing I know, though, it's true for Ben, it might be true for you, it might not sound better. Because maybe you don't want to let go of it. Maybe you want to see that person suffer. Maybe to you, forgiveness feels like injustice. And that might be true. That, that's a legitimate way to feel. But the question is, um, not what's a legitimate way to feel, but what's the best way to move forward? So before we launch into it, I, I do want to just say, here's a few things that forgiveness is not. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Things happen and we can't forget about them. So forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not pretending the thing didn't happen. Forgiveness is not minimizing. It's not saying, oh, it really wasn't that bad. Sometimes it really is that bad. Forgiveness is not a sort of abstract bumper sticker, let go and let God. It's not like that. Forgiveness is also not putting all of our feelings and stuffing them into a box and then shoving it up in the attic somewhere. That's not going to work that way. Forgiveness also isn't walking away from accountability. The other thing that forgiveness is not is forgiveness is not easy. It's not supposed to be easy. Forgiveness is hard. But it is not worse than living in unforgiveness. This is something um, that Jesus knew, that God knows. It's why, Jesus sent, uh, it, it's why God sent Jesus into this world. Because he knows that we needed forgiveness and it wasn't going to be easy. It's why Jesus, um, God came in the flesh in Jesus. It's why uh, when Jesus taught us how to pray, forgiveness was one of like, the central pieces of it. If you remember that growing up, like forgive us our sins, right? Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's the one piece in the Lord's Prayer where we're actually really responsible for a part of it. It's because Jesus knew that unforgiveness ruins relationships. It ruins um, friendships. It ruins marriages, families. It ruins communities. It ruins churches. It ruins nations. Jesus knew that. It's why he told us to pray like that. It's why he taught about it over and over again in parables. It's why he modeled it with his life. If you remember from the very end of his life, there's a very famous scene where Jesus is nailed to the cross. He's hanging there. People are... People are um, spitting on him and, and, and berating him and laughing at him and yelling at him. And he's on the cross and he's crying out to his father, Father, forgive them, for they, they don't know what they're doing. He not only taught it, but he lived it and he died in forgiveness. He died like it. But it wasn't just Jesus, it was his followers. Um, the early Christians knew that 
for this movement to last, for communities of people like us to last, forgiveness needed to be a mark of the community. And so one of the earliest, most important followers was a guy named Paul. And you've heard of Paul probably, Paul the Apostle. He was someone who knew forgiveness firsthand. Before he became a Jesus follower, um, he was someone who actually like, made sure Christians got locked up and put in prison and killed. But Jesus met him, Jesus forgave him, and Jesus gave him a new life when he forgave him, gave him a new mission. And so what Paul was, Paul was someone who, who, who talked to communities like us, talked to churches like us, and he was kind of a pastor to pastors. And something that he knew is that people like us are people like anyone else. We are just people. We are bound to hurt one another. We are bound to fail. We are bound to make one another angry and upset and bitter and all of that. And he knew that he needed to teach something differently. And so in the middle of one of his most important letters, Ephesians, he teaches us just that. Look at what Paul says in Ephesians 4. He says, put away from you all bitterness, all wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. He says, put away all that stuff. He says, get rid of it. One translation is make a clean break with it. Why? Because it ruins people. It ruins churches. It ruins lives. So get rid of it. We know that. No one wants to live like this. No one wants to feel like this. But the problem is we hang on to this stuff, don't we? Why do we hang on to that stuff? In part, in part, I think, because we're not quite comfortable with forgiveness. I mean, just like Ben wasn't quite comfortable with forgiveness, he didn't want to see his father let off the hook. We think if we forgive, we're going to let him off the hook, but we also don't want to feel this way. And we quickly find out that you can't um, forgive and be freed from these feelings while also holding the other one guilty and punishing. It, it just doesn't work. And so we do what's easier. And what's easier is to hang on to this stuff. What's easier is to be angry and to be wrathful and to fight and to talk behind people's backs. Because um, anger, and we should know this, anger is just one of the easiest emotions. It's such an easy emotion to feel. It's one of the reasons why men are so good at being angry. Um, we're not good with the rest of the feelings, but anger, we've got that one nailed, right? Um, it's easier for us to be angry because for a lot of us, that's what we've been taught as men. That's what we're comfortable with. Maybe that's the way our fathers treated us. That's the way Ben's father treated him. He, he grew up learning how to be angry. That's something he was comfortable with. But we also hang on to these things because we've never been taught another way. We just don't know what to do. We don't know what the, what the mechanics of forgiveness actually are, right? Like, that's just, that's just a part of it. And so when we don't know what to do, we do what comes natural to us. And what's natural is all of this stuff. And these words, these, these, these actions, these feelings up there, these are not um, things that are just bad in a vacuum, right? These are things that, that ruin people that ruin relationships, that ruin marriages, that ruin you as a parent, that ruin your kids. These are things that really matter. What stands in the way becomes the way if we don't choose a different way. What Paul is saying here is that in every turn of life, every moment where we feel this bitterness um, turning up inside of us or where we remember the offense that was done to us, at every moment we have a decision to go one way or the other way. We have a decision to continue in this or to put it away. The way that Desmond Tutu talks about it is um, we have a decision to go down the revenge path, the revenge cycle, where you're hurt 
and it feels bad, and so you hurt others, or you do something with it, or you suppress it, or, or you never deal with it, and it's this, it's this circular road, it's the spiral that just pulls in more and more people, kind of like a tornado pulls in people. We have the decision to go down that road, to continue down that road, or, as Desmond Tutu says, go down the forgiveness path. It's the path that Jesus set out for us, the path that Jesus taught, and it's the path that Paul teaches us right here, when he says, or be kind to one another, tenderhearted. He says, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. We can decide to stay with the wrath and the anger, or we can decide something different to go down that path. We talked a bit before about what forgiveness is not, but what about what forgiveness is? Paul gives us a definition here. Now, I know you're not supposed to use a word to define a word, so it doesn't actually, like, kids don't use this on your, like, your vocab test. Um, but Paul, Paul gives us a definition of what forgiveness is here. Forgiveness is what God has done for us in Christ. That's what forgiveness is. And so here's a few points that I'll bring out of what Paul means when he says, as God in Christ has forgiven you. We said forgiveness is not walking away from hurt or sin or wrongdoing. Here's what it is. It's getting right to the bottom of it. It's getting right to the heart of it, getting into the mess of it. Because listen, God didn't forgive us from, from, from far away. God became a human. He took on our flesh to get down into the mess of our lives with us. To forgive isn't to walk away from sin. To forgive is actually to walk closer to it and to, and to confront it face to face. In another letter, Paul actually says that Jesus, who didn't know any sin, he didn't, he didn't experience sin, um, he actually became sin for us. He became sin for us so that he could bear it away. That's how close uh, it is. That's how cl- um, seriously Jesus takes sin, how seriously God takes sin. Forgiveness, it's not easy, nor is it cheap. Think about what it costs God. For God, it cost everything. It cost him the life of his son. Forgiveness is not about feeling good or about making the other person feel good. It does feel good to forgive, and it should feel good to be forgiven, but that's not why God forgives us. God forgives us because he loves you like crazy, and he wants a relationship with you restored. He wants a relationship with you renewed, because you are his son, you are his daughter who has become lost to him, and he has done everything necessary to win you back. God wants you back. That's what forgiveness, that's what forgiveness is all about, because he wants to give you life. Life is found in relationship to Jesus. Forgiveness is life-giving. The other thing that forgiveness is not, it's not about um, minimizing or excusing or rationalizing the offense, the hurt, the harm. Because God doesn't do that. We might think that because Jesus forgives, um, he doesn't think it's important. He doesn't count it as, as really as bad as it is. And that's just not true. When Jesus died on the cross, Scripture paints for us this picture that he took on all of our sin, the full weight, the full depth, the full burden of it all, all of our sin, all of our abuses, all of the ways we've been abused, all of the hurt we've caused and have been a part of. He takes it on, and in Christ, God condemns it to hell. God judges our sin, our evil, right then and there. He doesn't excuse it. He doesn't rationalize it. He doesn't minimize it. Um, In Romans 8, we talked about this last week a little bit, uh, 
Paul writes, God sent his son in the likeness of our sinful flesh to deal with sin, to condemn it right there in the flesh. When he died on the cross, it's not explaining it away or minimizing it, but there God publicly calls out everything wrong. He publicly um, calls it out and nails it to the cross, and there it is fully condemned. Elsewhere, Paul says that our record of wrongs is nailed right there to the cross. Forgiveness is also not something that we could ever pay for. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can even do anything for. All we can do is receive it. It is a gift that God gives us not to hold our wrongdoing against us. We can't earn it. We can't unearn it. It's just something that God gives us. So forgiveness is is difficult, but it restores us. It gives life. It condemns wrongdoing while releasing guilt for the wrongdoer. It's it's life-giving. When we think about what Paul is talking about with that word um, forgiven up there, that's what's behind it. But it's one thing to hear that. It's one thing to understand that. It's one thing to even believe and think that that's true. It's a whole nother thing to put what Paul has said here into practice. Am I right? So what we're going to do with the rest of our time together is we're going to walk through how we can put this into practice. And I'll go quick because we're kind of running out of time. Um, Desmond Tutu actually walks us through a four-step process, and it's really worth listening to. And this is what... um, This is what it looks like. It's telling the story, naming the hurt, granting forgiveness, and renewing or releasing the relationship. This process, we do this every day with people. Um, Your wife does something that you don't like, you tell her you don't like it, she says, yeah, I'm sorry, and you grant forgiveness and you move on, right? We do this all the time. We learn to do this with people we love in five seconds. This thing happens. The issue is when people don't do this, and it builds and it builds, or when there's big things that are harder to get to. Um, this is where we need to like, learn how to do this and learn how to walk through this kind of thing. Before we really get into it, though, um, there is one thing that you need before you even get to this point, and that is you have to want to. You have to want to forgive. If you don't want to forgive, you're not going to be able to forgive. And so for some of you, um, step one before step one, right? Step zero It's just asking God to help, asking God to soften your heart, asking God to to move in you, to at least give you the hint that actual transformation, actual change, actual forgiveness is is possible. That's kind of step one before step one for a lot of people. But the first step in this is is this. It's, it's It's simply telling the story. It's simply telling the story of what happened. This is what the Truth and Reconciliation Commission was really all about, just getting it out there. A few weeks ago, we talked about shame. And if you remember, part of the way shame works is it thrives in the darkness. It thrives in secrecy. Um, Shame gets you to never talk about the thing that's causing you shame, and that's where it holds its power. And the very same thing is true of forgiveness. When we're able to open up and talk about the things, tell the story of the thing that hurts, immediately some of the power goes out from it. Immediately some of the strength in the chains that keep us um, locked up, that, that, that strength starts to wither away and die. And so f- for some of you, the first step in this might actually be telling the story for the very first time. Now who do you tell the story to and how? 
Um, it totally depends based on who you are and kind of what you're going through. The best thing to do is, if possible, and we do this all the time with regular, everyday, reasonable things, we talk to the person who offended us. We talk to the person who hurt us. We tell the story of what happened and why it hurt. And that's something that, like, just in general relationships, we need to learn how to do. But I also am fully aware that for a lot of us, the things are just too hard. I mean, you can't approach the person. Ben would have a really hard time approaching his father quickly. It took him 30 years to get to that point, right? So if you can't tell the story to the person who actually hurt you, maybe that person has died. Maybe that person, you don't know who it is, right? Um, tell it to someone who you can trust. Tell it to a trusted friend, a brother, a sister. Tell it to someone um, who's in your life like a counselor or like a pastor. I mean, please reach out to us for this. We have people who can just listen to you and kind of bear witness to your story. It's a chance for you to tell the story. Some of the power goes out from it just when you open up um, and when you tell it. You can just write a letter. Even if you don't send the letter, just write the letter. The second thing we do um, is, is we're able to name the hurt. We're able to name the thing that actually happened. And this is, this is one of the truly uh, most difficult things because this requires us to actually face what happened, to actually face the thing. And we don't like to face the full scope of the thing, right? If the thing is this big, we're able to face this much of it. And maybe that much can be forgiven. And we think we've moved on. But really, there's this much to forgive still. And so the question is, um, what do you need to do? What do you need to work through? What grief do you need to process? What, um, what do you need to ask for in order to actually face the thing that happened and to actually name it? Because when you're able to name it, that's when it can actually be condemned. That's when it can actually be judged. But if you pretend that nothing's really wrong or nothing's really happened, um, it's never going to get named. It's, it's never going to get condemned. And so it's never going to be able to get um, forgiven. And so what is it that you need to ask for to get to that place where you can actually name it and say it? The third step is simply granting forgiveness. And this is, I said that was hard. This is actually the hardest. And here's why. You can't make yourself feel forgiveness. You can't make yourself forgive. If you've ever tried to forgive someone before you're actually ready and done the work to forgive them, you know it's not actually forgiveness. It's just pushing the resentment down the road, right? Um, you can't make yourself forgive. It's something that has to happen inside of you, inside of your heart, inside of your mind. It's a it's a decision between your heart and your mind that you need to make not to hold someone's wrongdoing against them. And, I mean, for Ben, it took him 30 years to get to that point. For people I know, they've been dealing with those things for 30 or 40 years, and they still haven't gotten to that point. Their heart still hasn't changed in that way. Maybe they haven't gone through this process. Desmond Tutu gives us two pieces of advice to get there. And I, I find this super helpful because it's based on Jesus. The first thing he says to do is he says to pray for the person who hurt you. Pray for the person who has become your enemy. Because when you pray for that person, something changes in you. When you pray for that person, maybe God changes something. If that person has died, or if you don't know who that person is, um, pray for whoever that person could be. Or pray for the family of that person, right? The second thing that Desmond Tutu says to do is to do what you can to recognize that that person is just another person. That they're a flawed human being as well. And that's really hard to do. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and to look 
to look your daughter's killer in the eyes and see the humanity in them. But that's what it takes to forgive. We know that because that's exactly what Jesus did from the cross. He prayed for the people who were literally killing him. And he saw their flawed humanity. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They're just people, right? Desmond Tutu says um, quite famously, I think, that um, no child grows up wanting to be a murderer or, um, or a terrorist or a liar. But every murderer, terrorist, and liar was once a child. These people have stories that get them to where they were going, right? Ben didn't want to grow up and be this violent, angry um, man that he was, but he had a story that got him there. Notice, it might sound like we're excusing wrongdoing or we're brushing it away. That's not what's happening. Um, It doesn't excuse it, but it does serve to give some context and to say, yeah, that guy's flawed too. Listen to the way that, um, that Ben's story wraps up. He drove up that driveway. He said, it was something bigger than me that made me forgive him. One day, I drove, my mo- I drove up his driveway, and he came outside, and we talked about motorcycles. We both really liked motorcycles. And in that instant, when we were both bent down looking at that greasy engine side by side, I forgave him. I looked at his long gray hair, his wrinkled face, his obvious weakening from hard living and old age. He was human. He was so flawed. He loved motorcycles just like me. And somewhere in the middle of that realization, of seeing that, I simply forgave him. It was like a huge boulder was lifted off my chest and I could finally breathe again. He didn't ask me to forgive him. He didn't say he was sorry. He wasn't remorseful. But still, I forgave. He continues, we didn't skip off into the sunset together. In fact, years later, I saw him again, and he said something to me that made me feel all of the unforgiveness all over again. And I wondered if it had worn off. Instead, though, I learned that I had an expectation that my forgiveness would magically turn him into a nice guy, or a different guy, or a better guy. And with that expectation, I was making myself a victim to him all over again. The magic didn't happen to him. The magic happened to me. I felt lighter. The world seemed like a more hopeful place. I wasted decades of my life reliving the victimization as I, as I, that I endured as a child. When I forgave my father, it all melted away. I was free. Forgiveness didn't save him or let him off the hook. It saved me. Ben was able to see the humanity of his father. It didn't excuse it. It didn't wash it away. But it gave him a context and something changed and he was able to forgive. And then the last part is this. It's just um, renewing or releasing the relationship. For most of us, for most of the wrongs that happen, we want to have a renewed relationship, right? I mean, we want to get back with that person. We don't want that thing to come between us any longer. But for some of us, um, the right thing is to do is to let go of that relationship. It is to release it. You know, if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend who keeps cheating on you, you could forgive them, but you don't want to get back with them, right? That's totally fine. For some of you, um, it's someone who you just need to release. You need to let go of it. You need to forgive them and let that person leave your life so that they don't continue to be um, the main character in your story any longer. And that's, that's, a hard, that's a hard thing to get to. 
One of the most moving stories in this book, and I couldn't read it to you this morning because it would cause me to cry. Um, it's the story of this 26-year-old girl who um, was from America. She went over to South Africa during the end of apartheid and um, wanted to join in on the protests to like put an end to apartheid. Before she even got to the protests, um, she, was, she was a white girl. She was torn out of her car, and, and she was beaten and stoned and stabbed to death. Um, her killers were found out. They were put in prison. Her parents um, went over to Africa, uh, visited them in prison, forgave them, started a foundation where, um, to promote nonviolence, to promote peace, and two of, her, two of their daughters murderers, killers, work for the foundation now. That sort of renewal, that sort of change, it's, it, is, it is possible when you're able to walk through this difficult process, when God is able to lead you through that difficult process. Because we don't want the story of our hurt to be the story of our lives any longer. Desmond Tutu kind of ends the book by saying, though, we can't make anyone forgive. It's just not something we're able to do because your pain is your pain. I can't tell you to forgive. I can't make you do it, but the thing that we can do, the thing that Paul does for us, the thing that Jesus calls us to is he asks us to do it because he knows it's what we need. It's what's best for us. It's what, it's what the world needs. And we, when we decide to walk away from that revenge cycle and walk down the, the path of forgiveness, God promises to be with us, to accompany us, to give us the strength and the grace um, and the mercy and the peace and the courage that we need. And so my challenge to you this morning, thinking about the person or the people or the situation that you need to forgive, that you need to let go of, my challenge for you is to consider taking a step. It might be just taking one foot out of the revenge cycle and moving it back into the forgiveness. It might be that step one before step one, just asking God to soften your heart to get there. But it might be taking one of these four steps. It might be telling your story for the first time, reaching out to someone to talk to. It might be really facing that thing that hurts. It might be granting forgiveness. It might be reconciling with someone as like the final step in that process. My challenge for you is to, is to do that because as you learn to do that, it becomes your way. It becomes something that you do so that your life isn't overcome by wrath and by anger and bitterness and mistrust and fear, but it's actually um, a life of forgiveness. And when we as individuals are people who are able to forgive, we as a community will be a community of forgivers. Um, it, is, it is what we need, especially in this world. I mean, look at, look at, what, happened, look at what happened yesterday morning. I mean, the need for justice is there. The need for condemnation of wrongdoing is there. But the need for forgiveness is there too. Jesus calls us to be a community of forgiveness. My friend says that hurting people hurt people. It's also true that forgiven people forgive people. That's the community of Jesus followers. That's, that's what we are here for. That's what we want to be a part of. So let's take a step towards that this week, this month, this year. Let's pray that God would help us do that. Lord, as we consider now stepping forward to share, in, um, to share in your supper, to share in the meal that you gave us, which is all about 
you giving yourself for us, all about you forgiving us. God, we pray that you would help us to forgive. Whatever we need, Lord, to get there, we pray that you would help us do it. If it's reminding us of the forgiveness that you have lavished upon us through the death of your son, we pray that you would do that. Show us again how much we've been forgiven of and how much really we are called to and owe it to our brothers and sisters to forgive them. Lord, for those of us who need a softer heart, who can't even bring ourselves to want to forgive, we pray that you would change that in us, move in us. You're the only one who can break those chains, and so we pray that you would do it. We pray that you would help direct our feet away from revenge and retaliation and anger and more towards forgiveness. Help us to do that. Lord, if there's a specific step, a particular thing with a person or a situation that we need to take, God, give us the courage to do it. Help us to overcome the obstacles, Lord. These things that stand in our way, we don't want them to stand in our way. We want your way to be our way. And so we pray that you would move us in that road. Lord, as we come forward to take communion now, God, we pray that you would um, uh, uh, speak to us now through your body and through your blood as we remember it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.